Welcome to the NCO Journal Podcast, where we explore NCO professional development. This is a podcast series where we discuss published articles with authors and provide a forum for the open exchange of ideas, information, and solutions. I'm your host, Chago Zapata, Managing Editor of the NCO Journal. With us is Sergeant First Class Osvaldo Aquite, NCOIC of the NCO Journal. Today we discuss the article, Project Maximo, Empowering NCOs Through Health, Family, and Self-Care, by Command Sergeant Major Sean Curry and Sergeant Darby Colson. 3rd Infantry Brigade Combat Team, 25th Infantry Division. Welcome to our podcast. Uh, before we get started, uh, could you please tell us a little bit about yourselves? Uh, we'll start with you, Sergeant Major. Sure. I'm a husband of 22 years. I have three children uh, that all grew up during the time I've spent in the Army. Uh, they're all out of the house now. I've got uh, just about 23 years of service. Uh, the first 15 and a half or so years was spent in the 75th Ranger Regiment, um, where I accumulated uh, 14 combat deployments, about 61, 62 months of combat time. Uh, after that, at the end of that tail end, I had two traumatic brain injuries uh, that led me off to Walter Reed. I was there for about 30 days, uh, learning how to take care of myself. Uh, after serving with the Ranger Regiment, I was an instructor at 6RTV in Florida, where I taught uh, Ranger students how to live in the swamp, followed by the Swamp Majors Academy, and then I helped stand up 5th SBAB and JBLM Washington, uh, and then quickly transitioned down here to Hawaii, where I was a battalion CSM for the 21st Infantry Regiment in 2nd Brigade. Uh, and then I was about two years ago selected to serve again in, in Hawaii as the third brigade CSM. Sergeant Colson, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. I'm Sergeant Darby Colson. I work in public affairs in the 25th Infantry, and I was previously assigned to third infantry brigade combat team under Sergeant Major Curry. You're being humble. You're you're a writer. I'm a writer. Yes, I. I joined to tell stories and you know, honestly, every day I get to do that and I get to tell soldier stories and it sounds cheesy, but it brings me so much joy to be able to do that. So it was an honor to help highlight Project Maximo and also to be on this podcast just to get the information out in a different medium. So it's even more accessible is, is really nice. Good opportunity. Not just a writer, but uh, writer of the year, the Keith L. Ware. Uh, award, a prestigious award. So congratulations on that. Congratulations. Yeah, well done. Well, thank you both for joining us. Uh, let's jump right in here. Um, let's let's go ahead and, and, and what, what inspired you guys to write this article? What was the inspiration behind it? The original inspiration to write it was our brigade commander who told me we must write it. Um, oh. <laughs> He uh, he's a he's an incredible leader, and uh, wants us to tell the story. We talked a lot in the in the beginning of our time together, um, you know, about wanting to to write white papers and writing articles to to see and show the army the kind of levels of transformation and leadership growth uh, that we could come up with inside of our organization, uh, and try and spread it as far as we could. Uh, the reason why we wrote 
something about Project Maximo was um, we had just hit the year mark, actually, uh, about 30 days ago from when we got started with the original concept. And he asked me what I was most proud about in my time in, in the brigade. And it's, it's this program. It's, it's what we've been doing. I mean, I'm really proud of my soldiers. I'm really proud of everything they've done over the last year. We've completed uh, expert skills badge, you know, E3B as it's called now. We just completed our, our CTC rotation. And I'm really proud of all that, but I'm most proud of Project Maximum. So we wrote it so we could get it out to the rest of the Army. Imagine being able to reach a population of people who have, who have worked themselves and given everything of themselves, but in the process forgot about taking care of themselves. And then you could help them find another three to five years of service, or, you know, in some cases, three to five years of additional life. Uh, you know, we had a few with making some very poor choices and this kind of helped them get back on track. Um, we had a few that were working to, for the, for the positivity of work and, and not for the positivity of their family. And, you know, they, they've decided to stay together with their loved ones versus staying together with the army. So it's that like, that's my drive for, for telling people this story. Well, before we go any further, why don't you tell us exactly what Project Maximo is for those uh, who didn't maybe read didn't read your article and maybe are just listening to the podcast fresh. Tell give us give us a synopsis here of what what your article is about. Project Maximo is a semi structured uh, program for first sergeants, master sergeants, uh, and then captains and majors that is uh, designed to promote health and wellness. Um, it's full of self assessments which for most of them is the first time they have a self-assessment. Participants are a lot of time that is protected so that they don't uh, do their typical responsibilities. Uh, For example, a first sergeant, we would pull off of their duties. We would hand their their work phone, the phone that the MPs are gonna call on the weekends. We hand it to the next senior NCO in their company. So whatever the young sergeant first class is, and then that first sergeant comes and reports to me on the first duty day of the next week um, at 9.30. From that moment forward, uh, we give them a bunch of medical resources so they get lined up with the brigade surgeon. Uh, they get lined up with the brigade behavior health team. They get lined up with the division's leader assessment team. And I'll explain all these in a, in a bit. And then uh, they get lined up with our spiritual wellness advisor, our chaplain. Um, and, and then I'll, I'll further break it down for you. So the reason why it starts at 930 is most of us have families or animals or something uh, that we've been neglecting for breakfast hours. Um, this allows the person to spend time with their family, uh, maybe help their spouse get their children ready for school uh, or maybe it's just reconnecting with an animal if, it, if that's what they have at the house they come in to work at 9 30 um, usually that's past the sick call hours so all the providers i'm having them talk to 
can dedicate focus to them. Uh, for the medical team, they do a complete Ranger School style physical, which includes a cancer screening, um, you know, age appropriate screening, physical health, and then they receive special referrals if they have uh, sleep issues or other concerns, like they've got a, a bum knee and they haven't told anybody, or uh, you know, maybe they've got some really bad neck pain. Uh, for behavioral health, it starts with a death side brief. Uh, because not everybody is comfortable talking about behavioral health issues. Uh, so the brief kind of discusses what can happen inside of the behavioral health clinic and often leads to folks getting services for um, stress management, uh, for uh, relaxation, anxiety, and, and how to just hit a woosah moment so they can observe themselves uh, outside of wearing the diamond, if you will. Um, the leader assessment we we use here in the brigade it is, uh, is either a Hogan assessment or a Qualtrics, which is what used to be called the Leader 360. Um, the Division Talent Management Office uh, runs this for them, and it kind of gives a, a true self-assessment of who they are as a leader, strengths, weaknesses, um, and then they go through counseling with myself or the division star major on how to how to approach that. Um, the chaplain helps folks. You know, maybe you came to Hawaii and you were very religious, and now you just kind of let your work consume your time. The chaplain helps folks uh, reinvigorate their their religious beliefs if that's what they have. Uh, lots of uh, religious outlets on the islands um, and helps them with the social aspect. So we are uh, guests here in the island of Oahu and there are lots of places for us to do volunteerism. Um, one of the last service members hadn't done anything for his community in the entire time he'd been on the island. He was about 36 months on the island as a first sergeant. And we got him out to do volunteer work twice a week for the four weeks he was with us. And you could just see he felt more connected around other people uh, while he was helping the, the uh, community. And then kind of the last uh, bunch of things, we've got uh, heavy use with the Army Wellness Center or the Armed Forces Wellness Center um, to include the VO2 Max training, the BOD pod, uh, a full... Uh, metabolic test and then a another program called biofeedback uh, which is a uh, a program that you wear an hrv heart rate variability monitor on your ear and it shows you i'm stressed out right now based on your heart rate and they teach you ways to meditate or to visualize to reduce your stress which Every one of the candidates that have gone through have said this was the number one takeaway uh, that they could take back to their work and, and relax later on. Um, at the end of this, the service members receive you know, maybe a, a, a packet of three to five things that if they continue to work on for themselves, um, they can expand their lifespan, they can expand their time and service. Uh, and, you know, kind of get better joy out of what they do 
both in and out of the uniform. I like the way the article starts off. It says the demands of being an NCO are extensive, the commitment serious, and the days are often endless. So I want to ask. Um, we'll, we'll start off with Sergeant Colson. Uh, maybe if you can paint a picture of what uh, an NCO's uh, life is like at an infantry brigade combat team, and then I'll 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 pass that along to you, Sergeant Major, to give us a picture of of the senior NCO's life. Because everybody thinks they're, you know, Hawaii, you're stationed in Hawaii. Oh, okay. You must be spending some time at the beach all the time. Surfing. Surfing. Um, but it's not the case, right? So maybe if you guys can paint that picture for us. Yeah, I think the, you know, the Army's really vast in MOSs and locations and everything. But when you boil it down, it's all the same, right? And when you, when you put on stripes, your responsibilities change. And ultimately, you are taking care of soldiers. And that is someone's son or daughter or loved one. And your decisions now are impacting them, right? So regardless of any external factor, you are in charge of, you're in charge of humans. And it it is stressful and it puts pressure on you. And I can only imagine, you know, being on the line um, and making those decisions as well, All right? So as public affairs, I deal with it because humans are humans always, but in, in different atmospheres, um, I can only imagine that the pressure is, is more intense as well. Sorry, Major. So I told you I had three, three children and as an NCO, uh, you have to figure out how to lead all, all kinds of people. So the, my, my three children need three different styles of leaders. Um, now, pull yourself away from the team leader who runs three to a squad leader who's running about nine. Uh, that's nine different humans with their families. And um, you have to put everything together just to take care of those folks so you can accomplish one unified mission. As you add more people to your chain of concern, um, to your team, you you give less and less time for yourself. Uh, it's just by nature. Uh, most of us are driven to take care of our uh, our subordinates. Um, I know my subordinates always place their needs above my own as part of the creed. Um, now extrapolate it out to your your first sergeant, and in in kind of the way. We're, we're dealing with things here in Hawaii. We don't always receive master sergeants with E8s to fill first sergeant positions. Um, so we've got some sergeant first classes that are really good individuals, and they're pulling uh, pulling that duty as the as the first sergeant. Um, so an average first sergeant's week is Monday morning, making sure they have everybody, uh, they have accountability of their people, and they know who's done. Uh, who maybe has done something bad over the weekend. Uh, starts with PT, and then you get onto your training glide path for the week. You know, Monday, more motor pool Monday or motor stables Monday for almost everybody in the Army. We do that here in Hawaii. So you can look at a beautiful mountain uh, in the backdrop and still have to spend 12 to 14 hours in the motor pool, turning wrenches and uh, uh, working on the equipment. You know, the rest of your week may be weapons maintenance or going to a range. Um, and every night you leave work to go to your house 
and you hold on to your work phone uh, and you are on a short string to everybody who wants to call you about something that's happening for your service members. Um, in our brigade, we have a uh, we have a, uh, a policy of not sending digital messages after 1800 after 6 p.m. and not starting again until 530 or 6 in the morning because hardly anything that you send out at 6 on a text is actually going to reach the soldier who's supposed to do that detail by 6 in the morning. Uh, so we we attempt to, to keep a digital uh, kind of blackout. That hardly ever happens for the first sergeant. Almost every night they're getting a phone call about a soldier who is in need uh, or a soldier who is uh, who might not be on the path to righteousness. You know, maybe they've been talked to the MPs or maybe they have a medical emergency. Um, and every day becomes a 20 hour day. Now you try and go to bed. And while you're trying to relax the work stress of the day, uh, it's hard, hard to put away. It's hard to get through. And some folks, myself included, when they fall asleep, they think about what do I have to do tomorrow to, to pull in my best to be there? I mean, last night trying to go to bed, I thought about this. Am I going to put in my best foot forward uh, to do this podcast today? And really, you know, I appreciate you letting it be more of a, uh, a conversation. And lastly, I would say because Hawaii is beautiful, we have beaches everywhere. Um, you know, it causes its own risk. So we're about to enter our rainy season where it really is uh, very wet here. Uh, and we've got some of the most amazing waves anywhere in America. Uh, and those are super dangerous, you know, 10 to 15 foot overhead um, waves. And if a soldier who doesn't know how to swim gets on that beach, you know, they, there's a chance they won't come back. And when you're worried about your, think about how worried you are for your family and their safety, and now put the stress of worrying about 140, uh, anywhere from 100 to 140 on your shoulders every day. It's hard to get through that stress. And then you didn't even include, uh, you know, being a father, being a husband, uh, being a brother right. and sister That's or a right. friend, and uh, you know, or, or uh, yeah, you. yeah. So I think I think you paint a very stark picture, and then you know what's interesting about it, uh, Sergeant Major, is that you know uh, one of the questions that I had here, and I'll throw the question out there, but I'll, I'll kind of frame it a little bit better. But I was wondering, what is the perception that junior soldiers or junior NCOs have about the Project Maximal, um, you know, in terms of it it being catered for senior leaders? And then that's the question. But I think um, in what you just – in the picture you just painted about the soldiers and, you know, down at Sergeant Colson, you, you, you painted a picture of the NCO. But now you're painting a picture of the senior NCO and 20-hour workdays. And the majority of senior NCOs have families to go back to, right? Um, and we, compared to junior soldiers, um, you know, it kind of it kind of fills that space and it kind of answers that question a little bit, you know, because it's 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 you know, you're, we're asking the army's asking soldiers and NCOs to be servant leaders, and then they do that and they do that for twenty hours out of twenty four hours. 
um, when do they take care of themselves? And I think that's kind of where your approach is at. Actually, be- before you jump in, let me jump in on this as well. We have we had an article called uh, that was uh, about user lose leave, and one of the, the the main subject of the article was that NC- senior NCOs and officers don't have the opportunity or don't take the opportunity to to take leave. They don't take time for their, themselves, and they end up losing a bunch of leave. So I think these things go hand in hand. But what you're doing though is. is you know, that, that's just something that may or may not happen, but will continue to happen because, you know, NCOs are always busy. Uh, but you're at, at, along the lines of what Sarnikita is saying is, are you, is this something that's voluntary or is this something that, that, hey, look, uh, you're going to do it, you know, mandatory fund, go. Uh, or is it, or is it something that they have a say in? I don't yeah. know. Maybe yeah. I, I muddled so the hearing, question there. I'm hearing, <laughs> but, hearing three questions. Yeah. So, the first one is in Third uh, Brigade 25th, we have a policy that no one will have lost leave. Um, and it is the senior leader of that section, company, uh, and battalion to enforce that. Now, there are some ways that, you know, it's hard to miss if someone's got paternity leave, right? And then there's no reason to take regular leave. If someone has, uh, unfortunately, they have to take emergency leave and you know, now they don't have the money to get back to go over to the to the mainland or somewhere else. You know, those are understandable, but it it is a contract we have with our soldiers that is their time off. Um, and if a service member hits, use or lose, the brigade commander and I pull the leaders in and we counsel them uh, for that soldier missing use or lose so it is uh it is must use not must lose um the next question i think i heard from you is uh thoughts from the juniors um we recently ran a a project i mean this thing is is totally in concept right there's nothing written in stone it is um, it's super fluid. So our 92 golfs are uh, our food service specialists. They are our culinary specialists. Try to find me another service member who is literally working mostly in selfless service. Uh, four weeks out of, at a time with five days off out of four weeks um you won't you won't find another one i think the the mechanics are the closest after that and it's a it's a totally thankless job so here on this installation we have um three defects on the main side of the post we have an additional defect on our aviation side and we're charged with maintaining consistency through uh, all of these defects now they're not all open at at one time just because of the the total number of folks who were eating in the defect the throughput um so we went for about uh like 150 plus days with the bronco brigade's defect being open or, or warrior restaurant being open for three meals a day um and we've got a fighting force of about 
uh, 48 or 50 who, who managed that. And Colonel Shaw and I were recognizing some signs and symptoms that could be, could be leading to high-risk choices. So to get upstream of the problem, we asked to shut down our defect for 30 days. And we, with our food service uh, warrant officer and senior NCO, came up with a program similar to Maximo. I think they just called it Mini Maximo. Um, that was a four-week model that we could run folks through uh, on different stages. And part of it was spending time with the physical therapy team so they could figure out how do I work out when I'm in very strange shift work. Because if you got to get up at three to cook, start cooking at four, you're not doing PT before you get into work. And if you've been working 10 to 12 hours for the day, you probably don't want to work out on the way home. So, you know, we were seeing a, a decline in their PT scores. We were seeing a decline in their uh, stress management skills. So they spent a week with uh, our EBH team and we have a um, performance optimization member of our behavioral health team. And they talked about how do I build stronger teams and how do I make myself more resilient uh, to the program I'm looking at. Then they spend a week learning how to how to use the combat kitchen uh, because it's their skill. And they're going to have to do that in the field. So we brought out a CK and we brought out a, uh, a senior tech and they taught them how to how to do preventive maintenance checks and services. They taught them how to cook off of it. And then the last week was um, was getting them out in in the community. I think they they did some community service. They did some stuff on the post. It's it's repeatable. It's uh, scalable. It's not meant to be rigid because it's not going to fit everybody's timeline. So from a junior's perspective, those young people, and it's a totally subjective data, um, I see them as happier inside of their, their workspace. And happy people seem to do better or enjoy their job more. Um, those were two of the three. I forgot the third one. Voluntary. I think, uh, I don't think that was the last one. Voluntary. Yeah. yeah. Is so, voluntary thing? um, it is voluntary. The, the first person to run through the program was, uh, was what I had assessed as our most high risk master sergeant, first sergeant, uh, in the brigade. Um, was going through some significant life stressors. He was getting ready to make a choice to uh, separate from the army or compete to become a sergeant major. Uh, he was having some uh, some family issues that he was running through, and he had just had a motorcycle accident. Not his fault. Someone hit him. Uh, riding your motorcycle in Hawaii is a, is a pretty treacherous thing, and uh, it was just the perfect timing for this service member. Uh, I briefed him basically what I told you the process is and asked if he would be willing to do it. He and I had very similar backgrounds in special operations and uh, you know working as ranger instructors and he agreed. Uh, 
so that was almost all told but when i told him what we could get out of an outcome he said yes for for volunteering um here we are now almost a year later uh, we've had 17 or 18 uh, members go through the program not including the mini maximum we did for our 92 golfs and every one of them has been a volunteer uh, and the word of mouth after they come out is what draws more people to them i have a running list you know everyone's got like a, a manning alpha roster who is inside of your unit and i keep that alpha roster for the first sergeants and above first sergeants uh master sergeants on staff the uh operation sergeants majors and the battalion sergeants majors and everyone next to their name has a little checkbox of whether or not they've gone through maximum and uh, i'm proud to say that we're we're over half uh complete and i feel comfortable at this point that if we find a captain who is in the same scenario or we find a uh, a major who has just been pushing really hard to be as professional as possible and and maybe forgot to take care of themselves and their family along the way that it's it's for anybody it's not just for uh the ncos although that's where it started have you had any input from the families that's what i was going to ask next I was thinking those those FRG meetings might be very interesting to be having these families talk about these things. You know, like, hey, it helped me. You know, my husband did this. Or so I'm just curious the same way, same yeah. way as you are. Yeah, I've had some some personal impact statements from families. I know they're talking about it at the SFRG level because I've I've received feedback through through my spouse um, about the program and what it's meant to individual families. You know, I had one one family member come up to me and say that it was nice to have her husband cook, cook dinner for the month. You know, it was less about the, the, the act and more about the connection or the reconnection because her husband was an excellent cook and he just wasn't cooking because the first sergeant's time home is generally, uh, you know, after 18, 1900, 6 PM or, or uh, 7 PM. And, you know, oftentimes they're coming home to a cold, cold dinner in the microwave. I've had service members and their spouses come up to me and say, you know, I knew my husband needed needed to work on his stress because his stress was coming home. And thank you for allowing him to relax when he comes in the house. And, I, you know, the one that was probably most significant to me was a, a, a service member who came in and said, you know, you saved my, my marriage. Clearly, I didn't do any of that, right? The soldier had to do the hard work and dedication to to look at themselves and introspect, and and really take the time to talk with their spouse. But they took their four weeks and totally unstructured. I asked them to come to work at nine thirty. They have to be gone by four thirty. And if you listen to what I just gave as as a metric of what they should be doing. They run out of things to do by 3 p.m. and their medical appointments, you know, they get spread across four weeks. Um, but this this service member took the opportunity to call Army One Source and get four weeks of family counseling, so he and his spouse could could learn on communication. 
and uh, the spouse came came and found me at at one of the events and just said thank you. I think that brings up a, a great point too when it comes to uh, counseling therapy that kind of thing. You know, there's a certain stigma associated. We we had another podcast with a, or an article last week, our last previously published one, and we had a great discussion with the uh, with the, the author. And that was one of the thing that things that came up, you know, mental health and 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 the uh, and some of the the challenges associated with with uh, counseling and, and and seeing a therapist. And that's a, I think that's a big thing. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about that? About you know that aspect of 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 your of the project Maxima. Sergeant C, you want to talk a little bit about that before I get started? Um, yeah, I'm going to tie it back into the last question too, and like the impact on juniors, right? Like. I heard briefly from 92 Golfs before they went in to Mini Maximo. I uh, haven't had a chance to reconnect. But for me personally, you know, as public affairs, we're used to, you know, jumping from MOS to MOS or echelon to echelon and telling the story and then bouncing back and hopefully doing that soldier justice. But when Project Maximo came into my life, like, I mean, yeah, you can boil it down to black and white, right? I was asked by you, Sergeant Major, to write this article. And it could have ended there. But instead, you know, we had this discussion and we were in your office, you know, classic office setup, chair, couch, coffee table books, and my phone's recording face up on it. And after we have this, you know, almost 40 minute discussion, um, I'm learning everything about Project Maximo and the backstory. You looked at my phone and you said, what do you want to tell me off the record? And that was an invitation to me, a junior soldier who was, you know, I was performing, but I was really struggling, you know, feeling empty at work and numb. And it was a display of what you had previously told me that you put into your senior NCOs. And then firsthand, you gave the same to me. One of the newest NCOs in your formation, right? These same opportunities, there's, there's nothing preventing junior soldiers from doing what is laid out in Project Maxima. It is all accessible to everyone. It is, you know, armed wellness center. It is behavioral health, talking to the chaplain. There are no boundaries set up. It is not something that you can only do at a certain rank. It is preventative measures. So leaders don't hit roadblocks later on. Um, I forgot the question that you asked me to answer first. <laughs> Mental yeah, health. yeah, no, it's good. I think you uh, you hit that actually on the head. It's a good lead in. So the there are lots of folks who believe um, that there is a barrier to treatment, uh, whether that's seeing the aid station because you rolled your ankle, or going to behavior health because you're in a higher stressful event. Um, I know that. Uh, you know, I appreciate you you coming in uniform this morning. I'm wearing a shirt that is uh, the colors of resilience for mental health month. Um, I didn't plan it this way. I my PT's underneath. I'm going to go play rugby when we're done. The um, the barrier to treatment is often the five to six inches between our ears. I was a uh, and I was a guy who did not want to seek treatment. So in 2011, I was wounded in a uh, base attack in Afghanistan. 
um, during that time, you know, I, I saw lots of things that weren't um, that weren't great. I've got, I told you, I've got lots of combat deployments. It's led to post-traumatic stress. Uh, and I just kind of bottled things up and didn't talk to anybody about it. I went to uh, third range battalion to be a first sergeant. I had two back-to-back traumatic brain injuries. And I had a leader tell me that I'm, I needed to go get help. Uh, and that leader was talking to me as a friend. And so I went to a place called NICO, National Intrepid Center of Excellence at Walter Reed. I was there for 30 days. Um, we did what I, what we just explained to you was Project Maximo, and it was voluntold. Um, and they, they tested and treated me for 30 days straight, 24 hours a day. Coming out of that program, I realized that it is not a punishment to go to behavioral health. In fact, a lot of those people, they really don't want to deal with you when you're in a crisis mode. They want to deal with you in preventative mode. They will deal with the crisis because that's their job and they're great crisis managements, managers. But imagine if your job was able to get ahead of the problem set. If you're a mechanic and you know, hey, transmissions on an up armor Humvee are always going to be bad. And you built a program to do checks on a transmission before you went into the jungle and a reset check when they get back. I bet you could extend the life of that transmission. Um, when I was in 2nd Brigade, uh, before I came over to 3rd Brigade, our behavioral health clinic was less than a half mile from my office. I could have walked there and it had been no problem. Well, I drive a little red uh, Volkswagen. And it's pretty obvious it's my car. And I would drive down to the clinic. I would park right in front, which happened to be right in front of where my soldiers worked. And I would step out of my car and wave to everybody and say hi talk to the soldiers who were taking a break from work and I would walk into the behavioral health clinic uh, unabashed. I wasn't afraid. And I would, you know, hey, what's your name? I'd say my name real loud so everyone inside would know that I was there. And I would sit down and get my treatment, talk to my counselor as if it were normal. We're building normalcy. There is a a stigma or has been a stigma in my generation that seeking help is a sign of weakness. Um, I would venture to tell you that that is, that is going to die with my generation because we have a generation of young soldiers who understand that trauma is real uh, and they understand that they, there are experts out there who can help them get past trauma. And I don't, it doesn't matter what you call the trauma. A car accident can lead to trauma. Um, stress performance. Uh, you know, maybe you're a young uh, specialist and you're having a problem with IPSA, the new HR system, and you don't know who to reach out to because you haven't hit your promotion goals yet. Um, everyone has trauma. And it's okay. I think the younger generation is is actually far better off than the uh, the combat veterans who felt like if I talked, they wouldn't let me go back to combat. There's a lot of units out there that don't have this program. 
And so, but every unit has leaders, um, all the way from junior leaders to, to senior leaders. So I want to ask, and I'll start off with you, Sergeant Colson. What can junior NCOs do um, after listening to this conversation and realizing that how important uh, self-care is? What, what do you think junior NCOs should, should be doing out there? I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, strength through vulnerability and leading from the front in that sense. It, it is a fact that, you know, the Army marries a lot of different generations. You know, and I come in from that generation that is like, yeah, you know, you should be seeking help and you should be talking to a therapist before you need one. Right. And that is the life I lived before I joined was surrounded in circle or social circles that, yeah, mental health is prioritized. Like, why don't you have a therapist? But when I came into the Army, you know, yes, it's the marriage of that civilian life. But am I seeing my leaders acting on that? Am I seeing my leaders prioritizing their mental health? Regardless of, you know, my experiences coming in, if I'm not seeing that modeled for me, it is easy to give up on how I should prioritize my health. So I think, you know, and Sergeant Major, you mentioned that, yeah, you were open about it. You're open about, oh, yeah, I'm going to the Behavioral Health Clinic. And I remember hearing you mention that really, like, casually and above once. Like, I'll be here, you know, for 10 minutes or 15 minutes because then I have an appointment. And I was like, whoa. Like, straight out in the open. No shame. And a lot of people will tell you and say, hey, I think you should do this. You do that. But they don't model it. And so... If you have that leader that actually is doing what they're preaching to you, it makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference because then you feel seen and it is not just, you know, a conversation from NCO to soldier, NCO to NCO. It is my favorite. It is a conversation between humans and two people who understand each other. So I think I think ultimately it is just modeling the behavior that you want to see that's not only making a stronger force, but also just stronger, stronger people, because there's no army without people. And then Sergeant Major, for you, what do you think uh, senior NCO should be out there doing if they don't have this program? And then maybe you can talk a little bit as well as what, if they want to try something like this at their units, what, what, what steps should they take? In our organization, we talk about leaders leading from the front, team leaders particularly, uh, following the be no do model. And if you're going to lead from the front, lead by example, then you should probably seek things that you need help with and let people know that you're doing it. Um, I had a knee surgery in, in uh, 2022, and I used the physical therapy team. I was on a profile. That profile didn't, you know, it said things I couldn't do. But what it did say is it said a lot about the things I could do. And so now... The, you know, the first unit that I see every morning for PT is my profile recovery group. And I talk to them about the importance of going through that program. And, you know, I'm, I'm about a year and change away from that surgery. And, you know, I can do PT, right? So leading from the front, showing it can happen. Um, how do units without Project Maximo uh, go through the process? So... I would say it starts with having a framework and um, 
I was actually fairly non uh, nondescript when we talked about what the program was because our medical officer, Major Jen Mazel, is writing her article on the same uh, same program, and it's going to lay out the format. Um, so I'll briefly talk about it, and I've got a one slider if folks are interested and they want me to send it to them. But know that this program started with a concept for me. What if we tried? What if we could? Uh, you know, I finally got into a position where I thought I could use my superpowers for good and it's time to use them. Um, but every brigade has these people already assigned to them. You have a brigade surgeon. You have a brigade behavior health clinic or professional. Uh, you have your spiritual leader. Um, you have an ability to show a, uh, a leader assessment. Now, that one costs a little bit of money. And you have to accept that you're going to do that. Uh, but it's important, I think, to do the behavioral assessment because it might be the first time that someone tells Curry, hey, you look really aggressive when you talk. Uh, well, you know, the truth is, I'm supposed to be wearing glasses and I squint a lot. Um, and that's why I look angry. Now, and I think every large installation has an Army Wellness Center. So you have these things already. Uh, there's no cost. There's no financial cost to create a new program. It's just lining things up in such a way that you can afford to pull folks out of their position for a month. And a month is so important because the first week is like breaking a horse. You know, the first time I had to turn in my phone, uh, I went from being a, uh, a platoon sergeant to working at Human Resources Command. I turned in my phone as a platoon sergeant and I thought, there's my value. I've turned in my value. And what I got out of that first month of working at Human Resources Command was, I can do a really good job with what I need. I can take care of myself. And I don't need to be addicted to my cell phone. Uh, so what can you do if you don't have it? Uh, first of all, you have to have a desire to take care of your soldiers. Uh, and your senior NCOs are soldiers too. Uh, then you need to pull in your, your uh, health and listing fitness people. Uh, the H2F model is really good. The pillars are fantastic. If you don't have H2F at your unit, that's fine. We don't have it in 3rd Brigade right now. We're getting ready to build it. You can pull all of this together and draft it off of the initial concept. And I guarantee you're going to see more. Uh, you might see more people at the Behavioral Health Clinic once you start sending first sergeants. But it would be for preventative maintenance, not crisis, uh, crisis management. And the same goes for your physical therapy team. Um, we've got an incredible physical therapy team here at Third Brigade. Uh, one Sergeant Lee is our physical therapy NCO. He's certified in all kinds of ways to work out. But what he spends most of his day doing is teaching sergeants and team leaders uh, how to coach through injury so that people who are hurt can come back faster. Um, 
you know, it's that's NCO driven. He doesn't have to do that. It's not in his program of record. It's not in his, his due description, but he's doing it. So when we start putting our emphasis on self-care and we do it in public, other people will follow suit and it becomes prevention versus crisis management. You know, you've been talking about several things here. As you're, as you're talking, uh, I've kind of, things kind of come into my, my head about, you know, being, being plain devil's advocate. You know, what are the challenges that are associated with, with incorporating a program like this? Because I, I personally don't see any. You know, because it's, it's it seems like it's it's fairly evident that that it's a positive thing. That there's not there's not money associated. There's time, and nobody's indispensable. If there's a sergeant first class or a first sergeant, uh, not one person can't be replaced by anybody else. Somebody can step in, take care of the job for a little bit, uh, four weeks, and he comes back to his to his position. So, what 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 do you foresee, or what do you see as the biggest challenges to dealing with this program? So we had to start out by saying. It is, uh, there is nothing on the calendar that is more important than your health. And that was a challenge. That is a, when you talk about stigma, I would say that is a stigma. Right? Like, show me a leader who is, who is all green on med pros. You know, it's, uh, that's a tough one to fight through. The next challenge is, um, as a senior NCO is to tell my, my first sergeants, um, Hey, you're doing, you're doing a job. You're doing the job. Uh, but I don't think you're the best you possible. That candid conversation is hard and people don't take it very well. But if you follow back with the EQ side of, I don't think you're doing your very best, but I've got a way that I think we can help you find your very best, then, you know, folks feel like you're investing in them again. But I think that applies to also the officers. Does that does that also include you saying the same thing, not just to your first sergeants and your, you know, your, your other senior NCOs, but... You know, talk about also about because the, they're they're part of our team here. You know, they're just as important yeah, as, as sure. anybody else. So please include them if I'm you could. Uh, add, add a little something on that as, as well. Yeah, and we've we've had uh, young officers go through this uh, as well. But the uh, the reason why we targeted the NCO Corps is your first break through PME Professional Military Education is the Sergeant Majors Academy. Um, so we're reaching, we're trying to reach folks at the 10 to 15 year mark, uh, where normally they're at the academy between 15 and 20, um, where the officer corps gets a programmed PME kind of reset, uh, whether they use that time to reset or not. Um, you know, we are having that conversation with, with folks in the officer corps. I, I see members, um, company commanders who are working really hard to, to be the best company commander they can be, and maybe they're hiding an injury, or maybe there's a uh, maybe there's a young captain in the three shop who who had 
significant uh, traumatic experiences, personal or, or military deployment wise, that is hiding the fact that, that they're in duress and they need to go see a behavioral professional. Um, both of those are not hypothetical. Um, I'm talking about two that I've spoken to in the last 60 days. Um, the one, uh, you know, who is, who is doing uh, the behavioral health things, he was showing signs and symptoms that I was showing a year ago uh, of not being able to, to come down from the stress and the adrenaline. Uh, and I received a treatment called uh, Stella Ganglion Block, SGB, which is basically a shot in your neck that resets the fight or flight in your body. And I thought, this guy is saying things that is exactly what I was saying a year ago. Um, and so we talked, and he went in and got the procedure. And it when I say it's it's a life-changing event, it is. I would not be this calm uh, now if I hadn't gotten those shots a year ago. And I can see it in this young officer, and he's getting ready to be a company commander, and he's doing awesome. It's for everybody. Everybody needs it. Yeah, as NCOs, it's 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 our it's it's your job to um, you know to take care of your soldiers, but that goes up and down the ranks as well. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, as, as their, uh, as advisor to the officer corps, it's, it's, I guess it's your job to, to say, tell how it is. And I know it, it can be hard. And, uh, that, that's one of the things that, that why I brought up that as, uh, as one of the challenges. Yeah. Include yourself as one of your yeah. soldiers, you know? Yeah. I, I think the, sometimes we, as, uh, as the NCOs have a hard time leading from the middle, uh, you know, leading our peers, you know, maybe, maybe Curry comes into work and he smells like he had a hard night at, uh, out with the boys drinking. Um, like, Hey man, you're not in the right space right now. Let's maybe we got to take you over to set seat and have a conversation with a counselor, um, or leading from, uh, the middle as in seeing that your company commander or one of the field grades, I tell you, the field grades, they work. They work so hard. Um, we talked about first orange working, 20, you know, super long days, right? Almost 20 hour days. The field grades are doing the same thing to help run an organization. And oftentimes they're in some office, you know, off to the side where no one really sees them. Um, it is our job as NCOs to take care of everybody under our charge. I know my subordinates place their needs above my own. Those field grades need help too. Sometimes it's just a conversation. Uh, hey, how you doing? And sometimes it's, hey, I've got a great friend. He works at the AWC. I need you to go down there and get your, your blood pressure checked or get your... Uh, get your nutrition back on point because you're eating uh, roller food from Athey's for lunch, or I only see you drinking monsters and you probably need to drink some more water. We can lead up and down as NCOs. What we need to do is remember that we have chevrons on our chest for a reason. Um, 
and they point upwards, which is they're pointing up to you. It is up to you to to make a difference. We're we're getting at the tail end of this. I wanted to ask about the writing process. It would be great if we would see more corroborations like what you you and Sergeant Colson did to, to write this article. You know, too many times there's uh, you know we we get articles from from senior NCOs, sergeants major, master sergeants, etc., and 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 it just includes them. Uh, but you know, a corroboration like yours, where you're, you know, a senior NCO and a more junior NCO get together and 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 provide something that, uh, I mean, what advice or what would you say about this process? It is my personal opinion that the NCO Corps is losing its voice. The only way it, voice means maybe sit at the table, maybe folks hearing us and our thoughts. There are so many of you out there that are doing phenomenal things that you got to tell people about it. Um, and for me, it was fear that the way I write is the way I speak. Uh, and, you know, I ramble, I say, uh, a bunch of times and I needed someone to help me get past that. So we could tell the story of project maximum. The infantry brigade combat teams have lost all of their public affairs NCOs. Uh, it's, it happened to the third brigade on one October and I held on to Sergeant C, I think until the 17th of October. Um, and then they finally came down and grabbed her from the brigade. Um, she's a, a very special NCO. Um, she has had her own trials and, and tribulations over the last year. Um, but she was the right person. To, to tell this story, um, and I, I'm just thankful. In my opinion, I think your name, your name line, should go above mine uh, on the article. Uh, I know that uh, you know, you're shaking your head no, and I, I've read the protocol. I know what it's supposed to say, uh, but I'm just very appreciative of everything you've done for it. So go ahead, Sarcy. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, grateful for the opportunity to Sergeant Major. So the question, right, um, I think it's really powerful. You know, I knew what the NCO journal is. Uh, that's that's just because I'm a nerd, though. You know, I, like, looked into, you know, how, it, how could I write more in my career? But when I asked my peers, you know, you're right. Like, it, it needs more attention because not enough people know what it is. And so you reaching out, Sergeant Major, and, you know, giving me this opportunity to write is, you know, not only was it challenging. Um, it was a different style of writing. It was a different approach. It was in a way like ghost writing, but also not. Um, you know, it challenged me, but it also helped to develop me. And, you know, now I know about this different platform. And you you said, you know, your fear, you feared the way you wrote is going to be like similar to the way you speak. But what I did was, you know, I took our interview and I just used your words and in the paper. I, I added some things here and there, but ultimately that is your voice. And that is why it's so powerful. It's because it was written the way you spoke to me on that transcript, then that's the way that people relate. And that's the way that people, you know, whether they hear you on the podcast or hear your voice in the article, it resonates with them. And let your formations know that, that we're looking for, you know, because you're right, Sergeant Major, we don't want to lose that NCO voice 
Um, we have a lot of good stories to tell, a lot of lessons learned, a lot of uh, uh, things we can pass down. And I think uh, the more people know that they have venues to to get their voice reached out, if it, and if it's not through us, through you know uh, publications, you know the different branch publications as well. I'm a little concerned about it. I'm a little concerned about this being an army program of record um, because then it loses the the human aspect. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're I'm trying to get this out to every organization, every sergeant major, uh, regardless of the location you're in, you can do this. Uh, regardless of your MOS, you know, my my neighbors on this the street I live on or the the division support brigades are major, the AFMP brigades are major, uh, the Devardi sergeant major, and every one of them has taken something out of Project Maximo and has started it inside of their organizations. It's not a world of haves and have nots. It's a world of taking care of your NCOs and and officer corps as well. Uh, it's about preventative medicine so that you don't have to react in a time of crisis. And it's a, it's a program where we're taking care of our people in such a way that it's not robotic. Uh, it's, there's a person inside of the uniform. Um, you know, that, that's kind of my goal. Yeah, it probably needs to be inside of a, a program of record. Um, you know, we talk about taking man hours, uh, work hours away from from different sections and shops. But you're going to see these people anyways inside of inside of these uh, medical providers locations. It would be a lot easier to see them before it's time of crisis. Thank you so much again for joining us. It was a great conversation. And thank you to our audience. Remember to put your knowledge to the page, submit articles and get published with the NCO Journal. Don't forget to check out our webpage and follow us on social media. We'll catch you next time on the NCO Journal Podcast.